Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 73. With a new release finally, it's 0.115 is finally here. As usual, I've got Rohan with me. Hey, Rohan. Hey. We are very pleased to welcome once again, Paulus. Hey, how's it going? This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Navicasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. Big release, and I think this is going to be a big episode, so people probably want to have to speed up their playback on this episode. Uh, but first of all, uh, today is Home Assistant's birthday. Uh, how old are we turning today, Paulus? Uh, we're turning seven years old. Wow. Wow. Seven years ago was when the first commits landed on GitHub. Crazy. I mean, I was hacking on it before, right? But it's been, yeah. that was when I was like, okay, it's going to be open source. A project. Yeah. yeah, a project. Yeah. So seven years ago, you were just writing a Python script to automate those Hue lights in your house, and here you are today, right? Right. Crazy. Yeah, and now, I mean, now it's amazing, right? Like last year, we were in the 10th most active project on GitHub, and yeah. it's been Crazy. so... Pretty much this whole year, the activity has been like way higher, I feel, than like previous years. Yep. We, we have like an overall open PRs, I think around 350, 400. I think we've finally been wow. able to make a small dent, but I think we have like in the last, and a PR, of course, is a pull request, a, a contribution yeah. on GitHub. And then I think I'm just going to get the live stats right here. In the last four weeks, we have merged 1,312 contributions. That's insane. Okay. And have you seen, because obviously it's 2020, so we have COVID, pandemic, everyone's in lockdown around the world. Have you seen an increase or decrease in the contributions because of that? Uh, we've seen an increase. I think there's, I mean, people are spending more time at home, right? So mm -hmm. they start to invest Tinker. in their home or research how they can improve yeah. their home, right? Yeah. So they end up quickly, like, you know, at something like Home Assistant. Um, so we've also seen people having more time to contribute. Maybe it's just less commute time that they can spend otherwise. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've definitely seen an uptick and it's been just hard to like keep track of it, right? Like it's, every yeah. contribution is great, but it also means that it takes our time and we cannot spend our time on our own focus points where we want to take the project. So we always need to find this balance. Um, but I think we've been doing really well, especially with like the month of what the heck that we just did, uh, which also got like a lot of people just like contributing things. Uh, but we'll talk about it later, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's been really good. For sure. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think before we get too carried away with you, Paul, let's first get the the bad news out of the way. Yeah. So another cloud strikes again. <laughs> This time, uh, it's the popular service, Ift, If This Then That. They've decided that they are going to introduce a new uh, pro subscription model, uh, which will allow you to create unlimited applets, which is basically, you know... Scripts. Yeah, a script yeah. in there. Um, however, moving forward, the free tier will be restricted to only three applets. So if you want to create any more than three, you'll need an Ift Pro monthly subscription. I know, Paulus, you had some some few words to say on Twitter about this, and I 100% agree with you. I know I logged into my Ift Pro account today, well, sorry, my Ift account today, and I saw I had 26 applets yeah. running, so I'm definitely already over the, the, the free limit. I'm quite cheesed off, to be honest, with this. 
what do you what's your theories on this guys well i think my theory is that like you know running a cloud service to just offer these kind of things is just unsustainable anyway you know whenever you hear about like something is powered by the cloud you always need to think who pays for this cloud yeah like, how yeah. is this going to get paid and how are we going to be able to how are companies going to support this right because there's three different ways a cloud can be paid for it's either built into the original purchase price of a product Right, which is kind of how if this then that worked initially because mm. you bought a product and the manufacturer would pay if to like offer automation services. Right. Um, but that's also only as long as it goes, right? Like a lifetime, like if you buy like an $8 light bulb, you cannot expect a lifetime of integration or like cloud service attached to it. Yeah. At some point it's gonna say yeah. no. So people always try to do like this kind of pyramid scheme, right? Like they're selling more products and it's gonna cover the cost of the old products. But of course, your cloud is just going to get more and more expensive because, you know, you're supporting more products in that yeah, cloud. Yeah, you're increasing your usage. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, the second way to pay for clouds, of course, subscriptions, right? This is what they're, the model they're going to now. It's mm. like pay monthly and then you can just use our cloud. Um, and then the third, of course, is if your data is used for different purposes, right? So like a Google or yeah. an Amazon, it's like super cheap, but they are just learning about you and are able to send better advertisements. Yeah. To be honest, I thought that's what their original business model was. I would just assume that they would have all this data on what sort of technology people were using it and how they're integrating it with other things, and they would sell that to someone like Google or Amazon. So it's interesting that they haven't been able to turn a profit doing something like that. Yeah, I wonder if they... Uh if there were certain limitations based on like the manufacturers that were offering their data or something. Mm. Yeah. And even I know there's been a pushback with privacy, you know, GDPR, California's got their new privacy laws that have come in. So maybe the business model just went out the window. Well, if this and that, even I think it was them that had this thing where Gmail had stronger privacy requirements for the API. And then if Mm -hmm. this and that said, oh, we cannot match that, we're going to drop Gmail support. Wow. Which is like, a, mm, wait a second. <laughs> that, that's, that's a little bit scary. See, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think the, the thing that like, you know, is so annoying about this, which is what pisses people off, is that it wasn't clear that this was a subscription service or was going to be a subscription mm-hmm. service, right? It was right. promoted as like, here's a free service. And, the old you know, bait we, and switch. Yeah, we generally tend to think when we see a free service is that if people are going to charge for it, they're going to charge for something extra. They're not yeah. going to say, oh, you're invested in this ecosystem, now pay up to like, you know, and hold you hostage. Yeah. Yeah. So people just, that pisses people off. Yeah. I mean, there's so many choices. It's not like they are the only one. I mean, there's like Zapier and there's some other more, I mean, they're, I guess, more enterprise focused than... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but 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 you're right though, right? It's it's I think I think what it is is, and even I think what the big uproar is about is th- just the fact that that bait and switch almost kind of uh, technique, right? Where you know it, it's it's fine if you say, hey, okay, you know, you can now start doing X, Y, and Z on the platform, and then that's going to cost you extra or advanced automations or something like that, right? And I think I think I think the biggest thing that uh, just from what reading Twitter and like Reddit and those kind of things, I think, I think the biggest thing that people are cheesed about is, well, I had all of this. Now you're taking it away from me. Right. Yeah. And, and Phil, I mean, this morning when we were chatting, I think, I think you had a similar. Yeah. I I'd barely log into if I, I just logged in because I heard the, wanted to see what the subscription model was, right. Cause I got an email about it and it said, you know, Oh, by the way, you've got 26 applets. I don't know what half of them do, but they're obviously doing something in the background for me. Yeah. And now I'm losing them all. Right. So 
yeah, it's taken it away from me. Yeah. Well, what we can hope is that, like, you know, a lot of manufacturers used IFT to avoid having to make an API. Yeah. So maybe, fingers crossed, manufacturers are going to open up an API and we get yeah. more yeah. information yeah. directly into Home Assistant. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the only reason I would, I've used IFT. I think it's uh, when I have my Amazon Echo, uh, the timers go off. There's an IFT action that can then send a webhook through to Nabucasa. So, you know, like that's you know a workaround for me but it's, we need those manufacturers to open it up to more than just ift to be able right. to do those things but that's it right it, it's a workaround it's it's not an actual like requirement yeah. no, if i if, if, if I, it's a product was built better. i didn't want to use ift to do yeah. that right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So i guess this opens up the door to home assistant as well to fill in some gaps here like i'm sure there's a lot of integrations that and you know using webhooks that home assistant can now fill in like you know you can do automations and triggers based on whole bunch of things coming in that home assistant can do now for you yeah and and i think there's a i mean just over time from when ift kind of started up to when where we are now i think there's a lot of stuff that home assistant has added on right where you know a lot more platforms as well so they're again whatever you're using might actually already be on home assistant natively so exactly just you might need to refactor your automations or something like that to or your actual system to do it but do, do we know what happens if you know you have uh phil you have a hmm. you know two more than the three uh applets are they going to continue running or are they just going to disable them all i to be honest i have no idea the uh, to be i only found out that i had more than the free tier because the email i got was uh from ift that said create your own pricing so clearly they don't even know how much to charge for ift pro right they're doing some price discovery in the market they want people to put a price tag on it and i just logged in to go oh what's this all about and they just said you've got more than three so there's no mention of what happens afterward i haven't really delved into it i was i got quite annoyed and closed the window basically yeah uh, rage uh, a a lot of times to create your own pricing thing comes around because it's also uh, I forget where I read this, but there's this thing where it's, you know, if you leave it up to you, you'll usually give more than it's worth. So, mm-hmm. right. so you know, I, I, again, I don't it's know. Like that, they're trying to play some psychology. Yeah, I don't know that that's the strategy, but it could be, right? And maybe conspiracy theory is COVID's around. Maybe they're not getting enough new devices being sold at the moment. Not yeah. a lot of manufacturers coming along to keep pu- putting money into the IFT, so... They would have branch out with a new business model. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think I think if they also reached out to people and said, "Hey, listen, like we're struggling, you know, help us out," kind of thing, then if, yeah. if that was the case, right? And I'm yeah. sure people would come to that. Well, so this is what Wise just did. Yeah, right? I don't know if you've been noticing. I think they did it like yeah. last week, where Wise is making super cheap uh, cameras that are like cloud enabled, like twenty dollar, twenty five dollar. Yeah, and it had like person detection, and now they've been. I think they used some product of uh, some AI person detection on the camera, but the company got bought by Apple and so they had no access anymore. And so they moved to a cloud-based person detection and it's just super expensive because you're doing AI machine Mm. learning on like video. And so now they were like, well, if if everybody paid $1.50, we can make it work. And like, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nah, that's not the product they bought, right? It's yeah. it's it's almost it's almost the the Wikipedia model, kind of, but just begging. Pay us what you think we're worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it is the month of what the heck. Well, let, let let's start off, Paulus, with what is it? How did it come about? Oh, you know, 
what's the what's 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 the whole gist behind it? Let's start with that. Right. So it started off actually. Um, there's a web framework called Ruby on Rails. Yeah. And they had May of this year, I think, or maybe last year. I think this year they had May of what the f. In that month, it basically started like some people were like, "Why doesn't this work in Rails? So why do I always have to do that?" And they're like, "Okay, how many more?" annoyances are out there that you have to like you know we don't really have a good way to report annoyances mm-hmm. and so in rails they were like you know you have to submit logs and you know all your versions of all your jams you have to gather all this information and so they were like what if we put a super low barrier and then we see what like comes up um and i thought i saw that i was like this is really cool it makes a lot of sense yeah right this is not something that we can always handle because it's so much like people chiming in but we could definitely do it for a month. And so, yeah, so Frank organized this and, we, you know, we, we started this and it took off like crazy. So the idea is, you know, if there's something that you think is weird about Home Assistant, mm-hmm. but it's not weird enough to open a, a bug request for or a feature request. Um, yeah, one of the things uh, that we saw was like, why can't the admin user change the password for other users? Yeah. Mm. And it's something like, oh, I guess we forgot to add that, right? But right now, if you forget your password, you have to remove the user and add a new user back in. Got it, right. So, and then was all these things. It was like, oh, we can actually quickly fix this. And so a lot of developers chimed in in like fixing stuff because, you know, we have a lot of developers around and they're, but they're mainly always like, you know, scratching their own edge. They're working on their own stuff that they also use in Home Assistant. Yeah. But when they see all these things, when... You know, when you, if you know the code, some requests are like, oh, I can do that in like an hour or something. So then like people have been adding that. Uh, and so we, uh, I think we had in total 66 contributions based on what the heck uh, topics. Wow. And these have been fixes. In, I mean, they're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about them when we go over the next release. There's a lot of stuff for automations uh, coming in, a lot of like, where you can pass in multiple times for like a time trigger. These kind mm-hmm. of like changes are coming from from all the what the hacks that have been coming in. And then if we look at the stats, I mean, it was a huge success. So there were a total 682 topics have been created as of today. Um, you know, we're still running, of course, till uh, Thursday. We're recording this on the Saturday before. So there's still a few days left. We had of those 682, 107 of those we had accepted solutions. So we set up like if the what the heck was either solved because it already could uh, be done or if we had like a fix for it in Home Assistant, yeah. then that too. So this is one sixth of them all have been solved. Um, and in total, like over 4,000 posts have been made. Wow. Like people commenting and these kind of stuff. So no, I think it was a really, really big success. Yeah. Um, and this year, um, it was more, we didn't expect it to be this big. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm, I'm sure that, 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 you know, for all of you guys, I'm sure you're, you're all pretty tired now and can't wait for, for Thursday when it's, when it's finished up. Right. But it's actually, it's actually really bad timing because in October is always Hacktoberfest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we also always see a spike. Um, so we need to now come up with new stuff to do during October. Yeah. But we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> well, this will be uh, some good ideas for people that if they want to find out something that they can contribute they can just go through that list and go oh yeah that looks like a reasonable idea i can tackle yeah and so we've been gathering all this input on the forums 
And mm-hmm. so we're gonna close this category, but we're gonna, you know, it will still be accessible. We're not gonna hide it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which makes sense. Just lock it so that nothing new comes in there. Yeah. yeah. So if it's been so successful, will you run it again? Probably yes, uh, but not this year. So probably next year. So mm-hmm. I think that we can make this a yearly thing. Yeah. If we yep. do it too often, people, you know, it, it, people need to like. Be like, oh, if I already reported last time, I'm not going to write it again. So yeah, yeah. If you do it too often, people are not going to write it down. So yeah, yeah. And and I guess you guys need to see your children at some point too. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, with the current uh, pandemic, yeah, that's you see true. Them enough. That's true. You see them enough now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, zero point one one five is finally here. Um, so, Paulus, before we get started, it was delayed. Was there a reason for the delay? It was just a, you wanted it to be a bigger release or there was features that you wanted to get into this release? Well, we've been building some uh, some features that required like alignment between the different like parts of Home Assistant. So mm-hmm. one is like our Home Assistant tag feature, which, you know, I'll explain later what it is. But we've been working with Android, iOS. We needed the front end team. We needed the back end team. We needed people working with 3d printing we needed people working with esp home and all these people had to like come together and be aligned right and so plus of course now it's on our birthday so of course it gives us like an extra push Um, but i do think that like i mean this release is too big like it's almost two releases right like five weeks Mm. maybe we have a three-week cycle yeah and so i mean even github doesn't load when you look at like the (laughs) amount of contributions because it's just too big and it's just we need like an extended beta period because, you know, we don't even know what is in this release anymore because some is like so long ago. And so, um, yeah, we've been like, we've been fixing a lot of bugs, but it's, we're going to keep it like a three week cycle again. But for now, this was like, we need some polishing up and it's our birthday. So it's all like comes together very nicely. Yeah. No, that's fair. All right. Well, I think one of the biggest features to come in at 0.115 has to be the new, media browser slash media sources uh i've played with this it's looking awesome so basically i've when i first saw frank he shared some screenshots it looked like a spotify player inside home assistant where you could browse your own local media and of course it really ties together a lot of what home assistant does in that now you can select your own media and expose it or play it on media entities that are already exposed within home assistant so it's really great. I've tested it with Sonos, with Plex. Um, I believe Spotify supported. There's a whole bunch of, like, yeah. for one release, there are so many sources that are supported. So really good job by everyone there. And, yeah, like, works great. Yeah, so this this is also one of those projects, just like tags, where, like, a lot of different uh, contributors got together to, like, build mm-hmm. it. So initially it was uh, JJ Lauren from Plex, um, who did the initial version for so mm-hmm. to have like the backend done so that we could like browse your own Plex library? Yeah. Um, and then uh, Zach picked it up on the front end and he made like this beautiful uh, media browser. Like you see all the album art in a grid, yeah. and nice buttons. You can, you know, certain, uh, certain, if, for example, if you see like a grid of artists, you can just click play on an artist and it will start playing the artist, but you can also click on the artist and see the albums and right. you know what you expect from like a Spotify or a media player. And so they started with Plex and then CJ Toby, he added support for Sonos and Spotify and Cody. But then uh, there's this other contributor, Hunter, and he is, uh, 
he's been doing the streaming integration he did previously mm -hmm. and the camera stuff. Yeah. And he was like, well, this media browser is great, but can we not tie it up to our own media instead of just having, you know, browse Spotify and then have Spotify play something? We also have media players that can just play any URL, like Chromecast can play any video or audio. Right. Sonos can play any audio. And so then we started looking. And so then Hunter figured out, like, can we have a local media folder that we expose through a media browser? And then when you click, when you pick on an item, we will send that URL to your Chromecast. Okay. So now all of a sudden we can... Uh, so we built this new media source integration. And so we actually didn't limit it to just folders. So local folders is one thing that like an integration can play. So if you go to Cast and you click on the media browser, it will actually show your local playable media that Home Assistant can then play on the Chromecast. But actually any integration can provide a media source. So for example, CJ Toby also added support to NetAdmo. NetAdmo yep. is a cloud-based security uh, system. Mm. And so now you can play your NetAdmo uh, recordings of when there was movement on your Chromecast. Cool. <laughs> That's cool. But that, that was not it. So then we were like, well, what else can play media from a URL? The browser. Yeah. Right? So then Zach also built so that you can get the media browser to browse all the media sources, including NetAppMo and including local source. And then inside the Home Assistant UI, you can now also play that media. On your on your local laptop or phone or whatever it is. Yeah. Wicked. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. That That is, it sounds like this was one of those things we were talking about where there's so many people that came together and just, you know, somebody built this portion, somebody built that portion, and, and it worked out to this really slick um integration yeah. i think right it's that's mm. very cool yeah so it, it looks super super smooth it works now and like you know it's been still it was the beta was kind of cut too early we still made some small changes so like bram and martin have been polishing up some things but now it's i think at this point like we're getting ready for the release and it's going to be just a yeah. such a game-changing feature because it could mean for example that like hey if movement happens in your house you know, start playing like the latest video recording, maybe on your TV or right. on your Chromecast video or like your your Google Home Hub or these kind of things. Like it's, we can start linking all this stuff together, doorbell cameras, anything. Yeah, yeah, which is which is awesome. And and you know, I mean, this this really goes to show that you know, once you come up with an, something key like this, now it's so extensible, right? Where you can start using it in all kinds of different. Uh, places so I'd, we'd love to hear about uh you know what people are doing and and you know what what are some weird cases that that our listeners are using right like uh that mm. are that, i guess not weird it's not a good word to use i guess uh just it, like d different and interesting right that's that's Unique, that's, yeah. that's that's what we live for here so and the way it's all integrated is that for example if somebody would extend the ring integration to provide its recordings mm -hmm. um to, as a media source then immediately it will be available for any media browser, for any media player that can play videos by URL. So Chromecast right. will immediately offer, oh, you want to just watch Ring stuff? That's like, That's it just, cool. it's all works. Right. And then now you can start having that part of an automation or something like that. You're watching TV, somebody opens the door, triggers a camera, boom. You now, your yeah. TV now cuts out to that camera, right? Whatever that looks like. Yeah. You know, I pay $40 a year, whatever it is, to Amazon slash Ring, 
and I still can't get <laughs> live video from yeah. them from my video doorbell. Like, yeah, I uh, frustrates. I have an Echo Show, and and I and I and I have it, and it's you know it comes up for I don't know a minute, yeah, and then two goes seconds away, and whatever, it's just like yeah. uh, I I wish I could just. To me, that's more useful than just looking at the stupid background. That yeah. It's like, <laughs> totally. hey, say this. Tell me a joke. Like, yeah. it's like, I, I don't care. Like, I, I know yeah. I, I've owned my Echo long enough to know agree. what it does. <laughs> Call friends and family. I know how, like, the Amazon Echo yeah. works, right? Don't remind yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but, you know, that kind of stuff is useful. Rant over. <laughs> yeah. <So>, next. <laughs> uh, tags. So there's now tag support. This is also huge. I think we, we touched on this because of it was in the Android app in uh, our last yeah. episode. Um, and we had some ideas. But now, so there's physical. T- so, Paul, you'd have to run us through this because this obviously combines, as you were talking before, about all these different people coming together. But what are these physical tags that you've got here? Well, maybe I don't have my good picks ready. <laughs> so, so- <laughs> So tags are like small microchips that contain an identifier and certain tags you can also write data to, which you can mm-hmm. add your own identifier. And so the most common tag that we know is NFC, yeah. right? So you have these small NFC tags, they don't have any battery, but with the signal you send to them to read them out, they can generate energy to send the response back. And that's how your phone can hover these tags or like wireless payments works in a similar way, yeah. right? There's no battery in your credit card. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so these tags are cool. And, you know, two years ago, they kind of got on my radar because there was this video put online of somebody that had like all these printed cards with like album covers on them and like... The cool, Magic the Cards project. Thing. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the Magic Cards actually came after that video. So that video oh, was the original okay. one. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had this like... 20 cards on his table and he could tap them to the side of his table and then his living room started playing that uh, the music, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. super cool, right? Because like we're all, nowadays when we're playing something, we either have to say the exact album name to like our mm-hmm. voice assistant, you got to or you use your phone yeah. and you got to like browse and so this is annoying. And then you play some Painful. random remix that doesn't yeah. work, yeah. Like, yeah, you didn't want to exactly. listen to yeah. it. Or, yeah, and it's also not accessible to, like, guests or not accessible to kids um, or uh, people that are just not uh, easy, you know, cannot use phones easily. Um, And so this this card stuff is great because you can just pick up a card and it will play. Um, And so then this already, but that set up and that video was kind of, like, complicated. It had, like, a designated Raspberry Pi, an RFID reader. And then you had to like run some scripts on this Raspberry Pi, send it to Home Assistant. And so then Maddox um, made Magic Cards. Magic Cards was like a UI and you still needed a Raspberry Pi and, a, and an RFID reader. But at this point you had like a nice UI and you had like some templates right. to make it easy to print the cards and manage your cards. But I always felt like this should be an Home Assistant. Like it's silly that people would need like their own Raspberry Pi, like do all this like set up to just scan uh, tags and also the, the all the management should be in home assistant right because you don't want just music you want maybe automation mm, sure. like you know we shouldn't like push you in a direction but of course this also means that like well how do you make like alternative scanners for example and so that idea was always like in the back of my mind and so then somewhere around earlier this year i would say april um i was talking to adono on Twitter and you know we were playing with ESP at home 
And so with ESP Home, of course, this is like the, it's a open source uh, firmware for microchips, right? Like the ESP8266. Uh, for people unaware, ESP8266 is a super cheap chip from China that you can program with your own software on it. With cheap, I mean like $1, $2 or something. Yeah, it's um, crazy. But it has Wi-Fi, right? So it's super cool because you can run your own code and then with Wi-Fi actually send that data to Home Assistant. So these devices you can put anywhere in your house. Right. So uh, Andrea was able to run uh, an ESP8266 running ESP Home connected to like an NFC reader. And all of a sudden we were able to you know, for like a fraction of the price of like the original setup, have like scanners that can send data to Home Assistant. And so then we were like, this is super cool. We should do something with yeah. it. And so we both ordered stuff from China to like get playing with this. But of course it takes two months, right? So this yeah. is like... <laughs> right. <laughs> and so by then, of course, when it finally came in, we were like, we continued hacking on it. But around that time, without any coordination, Two PRs got open, one for Android and one for iOS, to scan uh, NFC tags. Okay. So to add official NFC tag support, because this is something that, you know, iPhones have had NFC for a long time, but they didn't open up the API to app developers. Mm -hmm. That's right. Android yeah. actually had NFC and open up to app developers. Yeah. Um, but now Apple's open and Android's open. And so now both of the Home Assistant official apps have NFC support, as you guys mentioned also in the last release. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. you can read tags and you can write tags. And so when you write a tag, we write like a URL to it that is actually a fake URL. It's like homeassistant.io slash tag slash unique identifier. Okay. And then when, we, when the official apps read those URLs, they know, oh, this is a tag. So we don't actually, instead of, we don't visit that website, we just send that identifier from the URL to your Home Assistant instance. And then that does whatever trigger... Does whatever. Yeah. So now we have three data sources coming in with tags, right? So we have Android sending tag ID, we have iOS sending tag IDs, and we have these like ESP Home scanner devices sending tag IDs. Right. So now the next step was how can we make it so that users can easily find the tag IDs and automate them? Because in the past you would have to like listen for the event. So you go to the dev tool, yeah. you have to find yeah. the event, you send the event, yeah. write down. And it's just cumbersome. This is not the kind of experience that we would like to have when people automate these tags. So Brom has built like a, a beautiful UI for this. So there's a new tags UI. Uh, every tag that you scan will be automatically added to this UI. And so that you can give them a name. Um, from this UI, you can also see if a tag is being scanned, it will like glow. Yeah. So you know, oh, that is the tag I'm scanning right now. So you can easily find it. Um, we also went one step further where the front end integrates back into our mobile application. So if you create a tag through the front end, there's now also a write tag button. So the website can trigger writing the tag ID to an NFC tag. Yeah. So when you're managing it on your phone, you see all your tags, you can say, oh, I want to write this one to an NFC tag. You tap the NFC tag and it contains that identifier. And then we have also added buttons to easily just like with one click create an automation so it will open the automation editor it will have the tag selected uh, there's a new trigger called tag scanned and so then you can do any automation you want cool mm. so that that's the so i'm just looking at the the little screenshot you posted uh in our show notes paulus and that that's a little robot there for the automation i was going to ask about yeah. that okay 
Yeah, and so bringing this all together, like the it, it actually you know the the cool thing about mobile phones is that anyone can get started with NFC. Yeah. For pretty much nothing, right? Like buying NFC stickers, you can get them online for like if you like if you only want ten or twenty, it's like maybe a dollar per sticker, but the price goes down like lowers if you buy more in bulk. Yeah. Yeah. And totally. But phones are cool. But I mean I, I'm really in love with these scanners because these NFC scanners that you can put through your house, they're actually uh static, they're fixed, right? You don't move them around. Like if we if I tag with my phone, I'm scanning a music album, how does Home Assistant know which room I am and where the music has to play? Right. But these NFC scanners that are with ESP Home, they're they're just fixed. They're just in my living room. They're in the in the lounge. And so if I tag a if I scan a tag there, it knows Home Assistant can know I need to play this on this media player. Yeah. Yeah. And so to make these scanners more appealing, because like if you just have these chips, it doesn't look very nice. So Andrea has also designed a new uh, a case for these scanners so it's a beautiful like it's kind of the size of a credit card but then like i would say like half a centimeter thick or something like this yeah yeah and you put like a you know you, you power it with a micro usb cable and then you just put them anywhere in your house and then, of course the card on top just scans it but it looks really nice so there's like two designs and uh the pictures will be in the show notes and there will be a, really, a blog post about it later as well. Yeah. So in terms of how do I get that? So I don't own a 3D printer. How does one acquire something that, oh, like, they look amazing. How how does one, is it, are we, someone going to sell them? So or meet Paulus in the yeah, back of so, a parking lot and... Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, so there's, Andrea is going to, like, publish these designs so you could go to a mm-hmm. 3D print shop maybe locally in town. Yep. Um, he's also going to sell a bunch of pre-assembled scanners. Nice. So he got some of the components just to like, you know, he's going he's to do like a small run of like 20 just to see if there's yeah. any interest. I think it's, I mean, I think this will be gone in no time yeah. because for example, I don't like soldering and I don't like, I don't have a 3D printer, right? I just want yeah. this to be yeah. done for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Right. I think there will be many, <laughs> yeah. many I'm people like me. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we'll see. Um, so that's going to be, he's going to sell them as well. And I think that's going to, it's going to be really cool because, you know, if we all start doing these cool stuff with tags, it's just, mm. it will be awesome. Yeah. Now, now we're, we're going to have to integrate another marketplace for it, for these physical tags. It's, <laughs> it's a home assistance version of Etsy for just selling <laughs> cases. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about uh, this kind of thing yeah. more and more. It's that. We are, with ESP Home, it's really easy to build like these kind of one single purpose, like very specialized purpose chips and like with 3D printing, build a case around it or have like just some cases mass manufactured. But, you know, we don't have to rely on hoping some manufacturer makes a product that we like and allows us to put our firmware on it to make sure that it's local. Like we we should be able to do this ourselves. And I think... Something like what Andrea is doing here is really cool. And I think and I really want to like promote this also because I want more people to start creating and selling these kind of devices. Yeah. And the way it works now with ESP Home is like it's the same kind of experience as you have with like setting up a Chromecast or a Google Home Mini. Yeah. So you connect it to the, to the power. It will not be able to find the Wi-Fi that it knows. It will become an access point. You connect to the access point. You configure the internet. Yeah. Then the moment it has internet, 
it will be immediately pop up in your home assistant saying, hey, I found an ESP home device. You want to set it up? You click yes, yeah. and it works. That's it. Yeah, which is, which is, like, that's just, it, it, it's, it's a no brainer. Like it, it just makes sense. Right. And yeah. I think, I think I, I agree. And, and, yeah. you know, I, I would love to see more, more people doing this kind of stuff. So Andrea, you started a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> it's also nice to bring the physical world into automation. Yeah. Right? Well, I think this is what makes, uh, this will add like a new dimension, I think, to home assistants. For sure. Right? Instead mm. of like these, you know, automations or these cool things we can do with our phone. These are the kind of things that, the, you know, the other family members are easily going to be able to share their fr- show their friends. Like, look how cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's very easy for everybody to understand as well. It's like, oh, I scan a card, something happens. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, and so the, the one thing that we haven't built yet, and just because we ran out of time, is actually the jukebox. Like that whole, yeah. you know, having media players mapped to, uh, mm. scanners mapped to media players, tags uh, mapped to like audio. So I'm actually, we, I've created a YAML automation, so I'm going to release that one so people can just yep. copy paste that in and it will work. But my ideal world, it would be in the tag UI, you should be able to, assign songs to tags right there with mm-hmm. a new media browser, right? We bring that together. Yeah. And then we can see, you know, we know which devices you use for scanning. So we can also allow you to assign media players to each scanner. Okay. Yeah. And then it will pretty much just work. Yeah. So therefore, you know, you scan the Daft Punk, you know, card on the living room scanner, it will know to play that album in the living room. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so I, I mean, I had I had this kind of system in my house for like uh, one and a half years now, and um, my the main user of the system was actually my son. So yeah. I had all these cards initially with just children's songs. Each card was one song each, and since my son was one year old, he has been able to do his own music. That's awesome. In the living room, right? yeah, yeah. And so he would pick his favorite card and just swipe it, and it would. Uh, play initially I used to play it on like a Google Home later I played it on like a Sonos device you know and he just taps it and later he uh, you know he evolved from like children's songs he wanted uh, car sounds so he had like a police <laughs> sound uh, the ambulance the fire. I'm sure that doesn't get <laughs> annoying <laughs> at all <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so yeah that's cool so yeah but I've also heard people that have put like NFC stickers on books yeah so you can scan the book and then somebody will start reading that book. Like they would have like recorded the voice of the grandparents. So the you scan the kids will scan the book and the grandparents will start reading and you hear like a ping when to like turn the page and these kind of things. Oh, that's cool. So, that's so it's nice. like it's, yeah. again, especially well, especially in a time like COVID or or you know, if 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 they've passed on or whatever, that that's a really cool like legacy, right? Like in just hey, here's me recording something like that right so that would be that would be really cool all right we are 42 minutes into (laughs) and we've gotten through two features (laughs) not even halfway there (laughs) but these have been these are the biggest features. oh i i I love it though they're 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 worthy of an episode themselves i think right (laughs) so yes all right so this one i think is gonna we're gonna have to try and explain this as best we can over audio uh but Variables in scripts and automations are here. Paulus, run us through this. Just if you can, give us the abridged okay. version. 
So in, in automations and scripts, we can use templates to write conditions, to uh, you know, define, dynamically define when the script is executed, which service to call, right. or what data to send to the service. Like mm. you can, for example, dynamically decide what the message is going to be in a notification that you're sending. Like you left the garage door open or the garage door has been open for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, right? You need to calculate those times. But we do a lot of these calculations and it's sometimes annoying to do that in line in where you're defining the message for your service because all of a sudden you're mangling. You have, you know, your your data property for your service call and it has just like these hundreds of lines of automation, sort of, of automation, hundreds of lines of templates and you also cannot reuse template mm-hmm. variables if you if you compute it like a value and you need that value three times and it's in different parts of what there are different templates yeah. you would have to uh calculate it three times and then like it's difficult to keep in sync and it just it became messy yep. i have a good morning like jarvis message every morning so it like reads me the traffic the weather it's just a big block of yeah. template right it's messy it's hard to you know, if I'm not at work one day and I need not that sentence to say, I need to make sure it maps up. It's difficult, right? So this is going to be a lifesaver. Yeah. And so the way it works is that there's two new parts. Uh, the first part is that when you define a script or an automation, there's just a new, besides alias, trigger, condition, and action, you can now also define variables. Right. These variables will be... Um, data that will be available to you inside your template. So this can either be just hard-coded information. So for example, in my uh, tag jukebox automation, I will have a a mapping of like all the tag IDs to the songs that they need to play. And that's just one variable. Right. But you could, for example, also in these variables, compute data based on the trigger that happened and have that data be available to test in your conditions or later in your actions. But we realize that sometimes you want to have stuff in your variables, but you can only compute them after all the conditions pass because you you know that certain data is available. For example, you know, a certain, you cannot read the brightness of a light if it's not on. So if you want to do computations with the brightness, you cannot have that done in like the initial variables. Right. So we decided to also add in variables action to your to the script syntax so the action part of an automation and the script of a script it is the same kind of <laughs> syntax right it's the same yeah. like call service firing event uh, delay and so there's a new variables there where again you can just define like key and value and it will assign those values to those variables and those will be available in the subsequent templates rendered after the variable block Okay. So this actually, this sounds pretty like, like that, that variable action sounds a bit like, you know, why would you use this? And the actual use case for that is comes in the next feature, the, another new feature that we added, which is called wait for trigger. So with wait for trigger, you can pause a script or automation that's being executed halfway and wait for an automation trigger to happen before you continue with the rest of your uh, actions. Right. And that data from that trigger is then also available to you. And so the use case we've had in mind when we designed and developed this feature 
is actionable notifications to our mobile applications. So for example, you have an automation that detects that you've left the garage door open for 20 minutes. You then go ahead, send an actionable notification to your mobile phone saying, you've left the garage door open. Yep. Do you want me to close it? Yes or no. Then you wait, but to wait for trigger until the answer comes in from the mobile phone that the user clicked one of the two buttons. And when the answer comes in, that same automation can then also execute based on what the answer was using like a choose, which we introduced uh, in mm, 1.14. Yeah. And so that way you can keep all the logic of that automation of, you know, of like asking you if the garage should be closed and then de handling that answer all in one automation. Right. Yeah, that's going to save so much YAML. Yeah, I think that like we're going to, you know, the people that like, you know, if, if you write your automation in YAML, I think with all the new features that are landed last release and that are landing in this release in automations, people can just, you know, probably end up cutting the automations like 50% of the more compact yeah. and Absolutely. doing the exact same thing, if not yeah. better. Yeah, yeah, because before you would have had to, you had one automation block and then from there you, you know, somehow trigger something or call another automation block and then, you, you know, whatever mm. it is. And, and not only does it get messy, it just gets very complex, right? So again, yeah. thinking of somebody who's not, you know, a programmer or something like that, that starts to get really cumbersome, right? If you want to do something a little more advanced. So mm. at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Now, and, and, and speaking of actually, Paulus is, so does this, does this translate to the automation UI as well? Or, or how does that? So I don't know how many has, how many of these things have already been translated to you with the UI yeah. variables have not yeah. yet. I know that for sure. Um, but, uh, the other thing, I mean, we're going to make them available in the UI, but as these features go, it's always easier to, you know, the UI is something you can put on, you can add later yeah. as well. Yep. So we're going to, we'll be expanding our uh, UI as well, but the variables one will be very difficult because in YAML, you can define, you can, you know, you can define lists, you can define dictionaries, you can define numbers and all that stuff. Yep. We don't want to build a whole UI to mutate arbitrary data structures. Yep. 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 That's going to be kind of crazy. Um, well, I mean, I never say never, maybe somebody <laughs> will do it, but um, I, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's, uh, so there's some things will just be YAML only, but we, what we've been doing in the front end, if we come across like an action or part that we don't know how to render in the yeah. UI, we've actually been showing YAML blocks. So for example, we don't, uh, we don't just say, this is something you could like, we used to just show you like a formatted version, like this is the data that we have for this trigger. Mm -hmm but you cannot edit it from the UI. And we've updated that, that you can actually edit the YAML of just that one action or that one condition or that one trigger in the UI. Okay. And then the rest is still UI itself, but you can also toggle saying, oh, I just want to edit this in YAML as well. Okay. Nice. 
So I mean, this is something we've actually taken from Lovelace because in Lovelace we started doing this. Yeah. Right? Like every card or empty row, mm. you don't have to use the UI. You can still do individual YAML editing. Yeah. Just for that one card which, or one whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Which actually brings me to another feature um, that is coming. Um, and that is we no longer sort the keys when you added YAML in the front end. So it used to be that when you, this is only for UI users that are using YAML yeah. mode. But we had this feature. Well, it was not a feature. It was a bug. <laughs> it was that <laughs> if you, we store everything in JSON in the yeah. back end, right? So even we show you, YAML to edit in the front end because that's what our users are familiar with. We would store it as JSON. And what used to happen in the past is that we would sort the keys alphabetically. And so even though you have it, you know, this is super annoying because if you think about it, in automation, you want trigger, condition, action. That's how you want to read it. Yeah. Mm. Because that's how it's going to execute. Yeah, but it'll be action, condition. But if trigger. you are going to alphabetically sort it, then condition comes first and it's super annoying. Yeah. And the same started happening with like Lovelace cards and all that stuff. So that is fixed now as well. Oh, that's good. And this is, by the way, also something that came out of the month of what the heck. Yeah. So wait for triggers, Paulus. Do they have a like default timeout action as well? Like I know, for example, the wait templates and all that used to. Does that was that also supported? Like if no one presses yes or no for twenty minutes, what happens? Yeah. So there is a timeout. And then it will just uh, continue, and then you can you have to look in the template to see uh, if it was a timeout or not. I think right. I'm actually not hundred percent sure. Uh, I'm actually I'm trying to quickly look up the <laughs> the code right now. <laughs> if not, you'll have to build it before we release this episode. That's right. <laughs> With both types of ways, it is possible to set a timeout after which the script will continue its execution if the condition event is not satisfied. Timeout has the same syntax as delay, and like delay also accepts templates. You, you can go. also get the script to abort after the timeout by using the optional continue in timeout and set that to false. Right. Okay. So, yeah, same Mac. Yeah. The same features abort is perfect. Yeah. So that's good. That's awesome. Uh, something that's going to, I think, really help out people... I know I've had to use a lot of templates to achieve this is triggers and conditions on entity yes. attributes. So for example, if you've got the sun and you want to do a, an automation based on the elevation, previously you would have to use a template to extract the value out. Now you can just use YAML only and do whatever you want with them. So that I'm guessing that sounds like that would have had to come from what the heck, surely. Yes. That's yes, yeah. that came out from there as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause that's, that's frustrated me for quite some time. Yeah. Well, it frustrated me as well. Right. Like it was just something that I just, you, you know, because it's so with, easy, right? it's just so easy to whip up like a template sensor that it's like, oh, I'm not going to fix it in the code. Yeah. Now it's yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, this is going to, I think like, you know, if we talk about like how people are going to have less YAML after this, this is, this is going to kill a lot of template entities, yeah. mm-hmm. template sensors. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and again, I've got a bunch too, right. And it's just, it's just, it's just another thing to do now. Right. It's, it's so, which is, which is, I'm, I'm happy about this one as well. So improved template tracking. I, I honestly really don't even understand this one, so I'm not even going to try it. So <laughs> Paulus. So this is actually, it has been interesting. This feature has been worked on and has been part of the code base for a long time, but it's been finally finished and wrapped up. Okay. The, and what this feature does is that previously, 
like when you have a template entity, we need to know when we need to re-render the templates to make sure that we pull in the latest information. Right. If we do it the, the inefficient way, is that we would every state change we would re-render mm. every template, but that gets very expensive very yeah. fast. So what we used to do is that we would use a regular expression to kind of see which entities you would reference, and that's when we would update your template. But of course, this is not uh, foolproof because you can iterate over states, you can iterate over sure. domains, you can. Uh, and so what happened is that people, the templates wouldn't update often enough, or so the entities. And so we offer this entity ID feature that people could just manually assign entity IDs when their template entities had to re-render. And that was just, you know, that was kind of silly because now we're putting the burden on the users to and understand how templates re-rendering works and, you know, be able to then decide what the re-render state changes have to be that the entity had to listen right. to. And so with this improved template tracking, what is happening is that we actually keep track of all the domains and entities that are touched in your template. Let's say you just check is a certain value of a sensor above 20, okay. right? Then we now see after the template has run, okay, you only reference this one entity. So then when that entity changes, we will re-render your template. Okay. Now, of course, it can happen that you have an if-else condition in your template and inside the if or the else, you would reference other entities. Mm -hmm. But because we check it after each render, we can see, oh, this time we know that if you only reference it one entity, when that changes, we'll re-render. If the next time you reference two entities, now we know we will re-render your entity when either of those two entities change. Got it. So, so it's not just arbitrarily re-rendering it. it it's it's re basic. It's basically re-rendering that template based on, yeah, some logic of hey, you're actually using this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so we're also like not just entities, but we can also see. If you, for example, iterate over the person domain mm -hmm. to see who is home to generate a list, then we know you're interested in the person yeah. domain. And so any change to an entity inside the person domain will then also trigger a re-render. Got it. Yeah. And because of this, we did have to make a breaking change where we decided we no longer support the entity ID feature because we're now so good in figuring out what is going Got on. Got it. So, and that's something I'm, I'm just going to point out. I don't necessarily agree with i, I quite i, I know i I'm, i have used template sensors yeah. a lot and I've, I've got used to you know specifying the entity id and i think i saw a post when it was announced in one of in the forums you know that we're removing the entity id feature and i saw one of the comments was if you want if we don't detect the entity id properly there is a, a workaround you know you can do like a, a variable hack or something like that was is it was it absolutely necessary to remove the entity id option was that adding overhead just keeping it around or it was not uh it was making it more complicated because of the way we are tracking the entities that we have to re-render um yep. it, could, it, it could still be done with some extra overhead but in the end it was like this is not something that we you know it was a hack pretty much mm, why it yeah. was in the system and i think if if people want to control when they want to update mm -hmm. things um they can also just, you know, the update entity service call will also re-render, right? There's like other options to do that as well. It is what it is. Yeah, I think the update, I think now that template sensors, because I know you've, as part of this release, there's also the new uh, service to update all the 
template sensors inside your YAML. You don't have to restart home systems anymore. I think that'll help out yeah. a lot. And I yeah. think that update entity service, yeah, will just have to be the way it moves forward. But like, what, do you have a use case where you want to control when an entity updates? Yeah, so I look. I can't think of the one off the tip, off top of my head, but I'll have uh, like a, a sensor that's completely like a similar to like a time, right? Like, there's no. It's based on date or something like that, but I can have it controlled based on like a calendar entity or something like that or whatever else. It doesn't necessarily match up, but I do like the ability that if this entity updates, then this sensor knows to update for whatever reason. Well, I mean, if it's related to an entity, it, that would just work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, that's that. And if you look at like, sometimes people will look at like, you know, the time, like just doing like a now and then say like, yeah, if, yep. if it's like 30 minutes past something, um, that's something that then you have to like manually update it because it's, we, we don't know if you use the time, we don't know what it means. Right. right? Like yep. we cannot like automatically find it. So some people have been uh, in the past, they were using like an, they have like a time entity that just updated every second. So I have one that matches, like, I think on the day of the week. So if it's Mondays, um, it knows, all right, now check if it's what week the rubbish is, right? If right. it's recycling right. or green waste. So now I'll probably just have to change that to, you know, just use a trigger every night, 1 a.m. If it's Monday. You could use the weekday sensor. We have like a... Uh, yes, I could, yeah. actually. And then it just updates once a week. Boom. There you go. Boom. So Solve the issue right there. <laughs> it's I, live troubleshooting with Polis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think that we've seen a, a couple of things come up during the beta in the chat, and all the time we've been able to offer a better written template yeah. that did mm. not have these issues. Yeah, that's fair, and and you know, I think I think that's a good plug for the chat too. Right at that point, um, is the community yeah. forums, the the Discord. Um, again, if these are things you're struggling with, then then that's the resources are there. People are there to help. The communities fantastic i know i've gone in and gotten help quite a few times right um so it's you know you're right right there 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 might be a better way of doing things right yeah but something i'm glad to see uh is the removal of the uh data underscore template service underscore template i can just put in my templates wherever i want now like put in in the data yeah there it is right yeah Really frustrating. Mm-hmm. So many times I have been looking at my automations and going, why isn't this working? And then I realized, oh, I'm using a template and I haven't done yeah. data underscore template. And that was my yeah. issue, right? That, that that used to happen to me like right. almost weekly at some point. <laughs> yeah. So so that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good, is that is that a breaking change policy or is that just a change? It should not be breaking. Okay. Eventually I'm guessing it will be. No, well, so data underscore template, they're just still supported. Okay but they just treat it as data. So it Got used to it. be mm. that we take data and then we would render data template and we would merge that into data. And so we do the same thing now, but you don't have to. I mean, if you just don't uh, define data template anymore, you'll yeah. be fine. Okay, beautiful. That's that's all I needed to know. <laughs> yeah. So this is also something that came out of month of what the heck. And it was, you know, we looked into it like, is this, you know, why was it done initially it was just for performance reasons. Yeah. But we were now able to do it in a quite a performant way. So we're like, let's do it. So how do you detect like when you need to use a run it through a template engine or not? So Jinja has only three uh, sort of like uh, tags that when you see those, you know, it's yep. like a Jinja rendering. So it's the two times a curly brace, yep. 
it is a yep. curly brace percent sign or yep. it's a curly brace hashtag for comments. So ah, right. we just look for those uh, three combinations of two, two characters. And if we do, yep. then we know it's a template and then we will render it. Um, and a lot of times, if it's just a number, then YAML has already converted it to a number. Right. Anyway. So we know, if, so only if it's a string and we find those characters, it will be run through the template system. Ah, Got it. brilliant. And so there's another change there as well, is that you can now specify templates for keys. Yes. So if, for the, the for the listener, a key is the entity ID or media content ID or like brightness. Yeah. So now you could say, this is either brightness or, well, maybe actually a color, like color XY or color mm. uh, different, like color types sure. or something. That's neat. You know what would be really cool if you could control, and this is what the choose block has been for my replacement, but being able to specify in a template like that this key should not be added. For example, like when I want to dismiss a notification on my app, I have to do a choose block because I don't need to render the message and all that. I just need to do a, a dismiss one. So I'll let that to what the heck. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Before, before yeah, Thursday. It's not too late. Yeah, well, we've, I've thought about like what would be the, uh, the way. And I think for entity ID, we actually allow that you can specify none and it will like render mm. nothing. It will just target nothing. Because otherwise people kept having warnings saying like, hey, you're pointing it at a non-existing entity. Um, yep. We should we can, should consider something like that maybe also for uh, for keys. Like if a specific value is like Nothing. ignore yeah. or something, but yeah. it has to be a special ignore. You can't just have the text ignore because that might be actually useful for Exactly. Something. That's where it gets tricky. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, this one I actually really like. Uh, the logbook panel uh, gets some more information. So, um, you know, now you can kind of see which automation or what script caused the change of a state and, and what action was used to do it. Right. So, which I think is really nice. Um, just especially when you're troubleshooting or, or a light randomly turns off when you're working and you're like, Mm. why, why? (laughs) So yeah. Also love that it's in the more info dialogue as well. So if you click on like a more info dialogue for an entity down the bottom where it used to have like the little history graph, it's now there'll be like a little timeline of, you know, this light turned on at this time or from this automation mm-hmm. or whatever. It's really mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, Zach has been doing such a good job and like doing nice little tweaks like this oh, throughout, uh, throughout the UI. Yeah. Yeah, and I know I know there was uh, there was a comment on this one on on Twitter. Why why is a change behavior of clicking on an entity on zero point one one five show the history graph again, not the data that was already visible before clicking? So we're actually we're going to change this in the in the beta right now because we got some feedback where like certain entities do not have controls, right? Like sensors. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you had to click on the history tab to see the history. But if you click on a sensor, you might just want to see the history right away. If you click on a light, you don't want to have extra space being taken off by the history of the light. And so that's being put in the history tab. So you actually split that out. If it's a read-only entity, sensor, binary sensor, um, it will... Or if it's like a limited control, like input Boolean, then the history will be on the first tab of the more info. If it's like a light or a cover or all this stuff, it will be a, or switch. The history will be be in a tab, uh, so you can like you have to click to show like the logbook and the graphs. Got it. Got it. Okay. 
And there's a new calendar card for Lovelace. That's nice to see. That'd be very handy. I think I've seen uh, some attempts at maybe some mock-ups of a Lovelace calendar card elsewhere, but it's good to see an official calendar card making their way into Lovelace. Yeah. Um, Another really nice one that I like is rearranging the sidebar icons. I know this is something, one of those little things that people might be like, who cares? <laughs> this is just the biggest, like, like if you're used to doing something a certain way and, you know, you want, you change some things around, you can always move it around. You can always clear stuff out. There's a bunch of stuff in there that I don't use today. Right. Um, I think, I think that's a, that's yeah. a really nice one. So this is also something that came out of the month of what the heck. So, you know, Brom saw that and he was like, I should be able to like get this going. Um, and so right now, this is just the initial version. So this initial version stores your preferences in your in the browser or app where you're using yeah. it. So it doesn't like, if you modify it on your desktop, it doesn't modify what you see on your phone, which one could also consider a feature because there's certain panels, like I will never open Visual Studio Code on my phone, yeah. but on my desktop, yeah. I use it all the time, yeah. of course. So it's actually good that it's like split out, um, but I can see how people might want to change it, for example, for their other family members that use the app to just be able to hide some stuff. Yeah, exactly. So that's something we'll explore for the future as well. That's awesome. Uh, And uploading avatars is now supported for users of Home Assistant too. That's a nice little feature. I'm surprised that wasn't on the original post, like when users came out originally. Yeah, well, the original time when person was introduced it was like very mvp Mm. Um, and so Mm. this is something that has been like on the to-do list like for a long time and we finally took the time uh, to do it It, it's actually a bit more complicated right because you need to like you upload a photo then you can crop it in the front end to make it like the nice size or like to uh, adjust it then when it gets sent to the back end we store it but we also generate thumbnails for you that way right. that like when you upload like your four megabyte photo that your phone produces, <laughs> we're not going to show that in the UI, right? We actually resize it because we know that we always show your picture in a very tiny yeah. Yeah. Uh, thing. Which makes sense. Um, and Yeah. But now that we have this whole infrastructure in place, this is only the first application. So we've been thinking allowing uploading pictures for devices. So, for example, you can have each device, you can upload a photo of how it looks. Um, in the future, I even want to actually allow people to share this back to the community, right? Because, like, we don't need, like, 10,000 people to upload a photo of their U-Bulb, right? Like, one person could do it, and then all the other people could get it. Right. Exactly, yeah. And then the other part where we want to see uh, in the future people upload uh, pictures is for their headers and footers in Lovelace or for your picture elements card or, you know, anything in Lovelace where you need pictures. Now people mm. go to the WW folder and upload stuff and they have to use send by shares and whatever. And that's all too complicated. Like we could offer a UI for this. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, and I think, I think that's a very good idea. Right. So uh, more YAML reloading. So there's a bunch of stuff to list out, uh, but uh, it's now possible to reload more integrations and more YAML entries and all that stuff without having to restart Home Assistant. Um, yeah. So this, this also came out of the month of what yeah. the heck. Um, and so Nick picked this up. Nick has been the one who's doing a lot of the performance improvements recently, and he also did the, the logbook. Yeah. Um, and so he came up with a way to add YAML reloading. So we had YAML reloading for a bunch of integrations. Yeah, automations. Already, and but stuff. those were already, yeah, but these were 
all integrations that were already migrated to the more modern version of how we are doing like data storage that we can offer both the UI and a backend. Yeah. Um, like automations, input bully, and these kind of things. But he was able to find a way to add this to the old way how we're uh, defining uh, sensors, for example, templates. Like, you know, mm. you just define it under like te- sensor mm-hmm. or platform template. And so by offering this, like once he did it for one integration, it was like, wait, now we can easily add it everywhere. So he already added it to the ones that were most requested inside the, the what the heck uh, topic. And for Hacktoberfest, we're going to make a list of all the other integrations that exist that could also benefit from this and just have like, you know, people uh, do it during October. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So this can be added to any integration that is internal, right? So it cannot be added to, I guess it can be added also to other integrations of like Philips U or something. But yeah. for that one, we actually just that one we just reload the config entry. But this is all for things like the Bayesian sensor, the, the derivative sensor, the template sensors, these kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That makes sense. I think I'm gonna have to restart Home Assistant for until the next release. That's yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's the future. Yeah. That has been like the goal for a long time, of course. But I think yeah. we're we're getting really close. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I've just thought of another thing I want to add to what the heck. Why do my sensors, like when I restart Home Assistant, all my doors and all that go now open for like one minute, right? Like one minute ago right. they were closed. So I've explored this. This was this was actually a what the heck, right? And mm. I've been looking into it. So like, can we restore the state that this last happened? And so when it comes to uh, doors, actually, they could play. I mean, when it there's two different uh, groups of entities, Right, is the group that actually can talk to device. If we can talk to yep. device, we know when it was actually last open and we can restore the state. Mm. For that one, we could set something in the past. But the problem is if an ad, that only works during the startup phase of Home Assistant. Because if we start right now, when a state changes, every listener assumes it, the state has changed right now. That's why I'm getting called. Right. But if a state change event would happen but the state happened last week, then it would still fire all the automations and it would go really (laughs) bad. Yes. And so with reloading, this becomes really tricky because, for example, a lot of people use input booleans to, like, control their automations Mm -hmm. when something last run, etc. But that becomes really tricky. Like, if if you would reload your input booleans while you're running Home Assistant, you would want it to restore the old state of the input boolean. But that's not possible because then we're... You know, when we reload, we actually remove all the entities and then add them back. Mm. And so then we would add an entity back with an old state, which would then still trigger all your automation. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's something we need to figure out more or better how this could be done. And it might be that we just because we already have some more advanced reloading features. So if you reload the input boolean that is stored in the storage you actually don't ever reload those. Because if you're any input boolean that is loaded from storage originally, when you add or remove an input boolean that is stored in storage, it doesn't remove all of them from the home assistant and adds them back. It just adjusts the one that was updated. With right. YAML, we cannot offer this because we don't know which entity maps to which entity. So we could do yeah. it for ones with IDs, uh, but this is something that we still need to look into. Right. 
So yeah, this is actually mm. YAML is in the way. Like if everything was in storage, it would be a lot easier. In problem. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Shelly devices are now being directly added into Home Mrs. I know uh, Pete from last week will be excited to hear about this. And I know, Paulus, you've got some Shelly devices there. So they've now got a, a native integration with Home Assistant? Yeah, so uh, Shelly reached out to us uh, not so long ago, and they were like, hey, you know, we see that a lot of Home Assistant users like the product, and, you know, can we, like, share, like, a discount code in the Reddit, in the subreddit mm. of Home Assistant? And I was like, sure. I mean, you know, people love cheaper products, yeah. and it's very popular. And I was like, Hey, but shouldn't we just have like a more official partnership? Like, shouldn't we just like collaborate because we're so well aligned? Yeah. You know, for yeah. people that don't know, these Shelly devices, they're, they're, they're original ones, I think, I guess. The, the relays are the, these small boxes that you put behind your original light switch and it will turn your original light switch smart in that it can, by, through Wi Fi, it can turn your light on and off as if you had pressed the switch. Yeah. And the way your light switch then starts working is that. You know, normally it's like, if it's like up, it's on and down is off. And now it's just, whenever you change it direction, it will change the light to the other, like on Modern or off. State. Right. So it's, you know, it works kind of similar as sometimes you have a light where you have two switches connecting the same light. Yeah. And when you have that, the switches itself don't represent anymore if the light is on or off. You just know that if you toggle the switch, the light will toggle as well. So a Shelly does that, but with a single switch and then like... Uh, Wi-Fi behind it that can also control mm. it. Yeah. But the reason why I mean this is not new or the reason Shelly are so popular is it comes out of the box with a local API. It comes out of the box with MQTT support as well, so it can push everything to MQTT. But it's also possible to flash them, so they they are actually based on the ESP8266 chip. Uh, that they also mentioned earlier that we've been using for our uh, tag scanners. Yeah. And so you can actually put your own custom firmware on this. And so you can put ESP Home on these devices, or you can put Tesmoda on right. it, which are both very popular um, firmwares, open source, that you can uh, put on this. And then you can run all the custom code in the world that you want. So yeah, now that we are... Uh, so they sent me like, you know, one of each of all their devices. And they were like, well... Can we, you know, how can we like get this better integrated into Home Assistant? So we started looking, and the the way we're integrating it now is that like we just natively on, uh, support their firmware that comes when you buy it. So this is like the official Shelly firmware. Yeah. So because of course Tesmoda and ESPOM have their own integrations in Home Assistant, so we don't need to mm. support those. So this is just Shelly, and it used to be that people to integrate into Home Assistant had to use MQTT. Yeah. But Shelly also comes with an optional cloud to, for example, link up with Google directly. And yep. so Shelly's, because the ESPs are not too powerful, so they cannot do MQTT and do the Shelly cloud for Google. So people were like, well, if I want to use Google, but I want to get it in Home Assistant, I have to, do, I have to sacrifice Google, and they didn't want that. And so that's no longer uh, necessary now because we can integrate with Shelly without uh, requiring MQTT. And it also means that it will be easier to set up Shelly's because the moment you start Home Assistant, we just find your Shelly's and we say, hey, you want to set up your Shelly? You click yes, yes, yes. And then all your Shelly devices are in Home Assistant. Nice. And this doesn't require a Shelly cloud or anything like that. It's all local. No. Yeah. Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. So we don't support all the features of all the Shelly devices yet. Yeah. Um, but there's already, because Shelly is so popular within the community, 
there's right. already been like three other developers that stepped up to help like adding this all to home system now. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because Shelly kind of, I don't know, to me at least, kind of came out of nowhere, right? It's just, you know, we just hear a little bit, mm. hey, Shelly, I'm using this. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Everything was like, sewn off, sewn off, sewn off, and then bam, yeah, Shelly's here. And right? now you just, yeah, exactly. I'm hearing more Shelly than I am sewn off, right? Yeah, the, the, so. the one thing I really like about Shelly, besides, of course, the custom firmware that is just supported out of the box, right? Like there's just a, a hole in the case where you can just put the pins for like flashing the, the chip. Mm. But the, the other thing is that it's made in the European Union and it has all the certifications for safety of the yeah. European Union. So, you know, because you're running, of course, I'm in Europe right now and, you know, you're running 230 like, volts through this kind of device, mm. right? And so if the quality control is shitty, it will just burn down your house. Yeah, yeah. Especially so, when you're putting these inside walls and stuff, right? Yeah, like the heat and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, well, it, it's that, that's actually one of my biggest things too. The reason why I use certified products is because, again, if something does happen, my home insurance isn't going to cover anything because they're going to be like, <laughs> "Well, who asked you to do this?" Right. right? So it's uh, I think I think that's a big one. So that, and and at that price, I think I think that's that's a great uh, right. Well, great bargain. Yeah, we, we actually didn't mention the price, but their basic one switch and uh, goes for like nine euros. Yeah. Which with the yeah. inflation rate is like twenty five dollars or something. Yeah, no, I don't know. Crazy <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, you would think, right? And they sell in the US for a bit more because it has to be imported. I think the US yeah. price is like starts at sixteen or eighteen dollars, top of my head. Yeah. Still is very cheap. It's very cheap. Not bad at all, yeah. Compared to well, like sixty or Right. And I think if I mean if you own a house, you want something like Shelly because Light, smart lights are just not the solution because if it means that you can no longer use the light switch and then ev- yep. besides every normal light switch that you're yep. not allowed to use, you're going to put like a smart light switch that works with Philips U, that's just weird, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Agreed. if you can make your existing light switches smart, then you have the best of both worlds. Totally, totally. All right. Um, Next up, Flow by Moen. I know, I know this one. This one's not as big of an integration. It's probably a smaller thing, but it's it's. I I personally, I love environmentals and just that kind of thing, right? So it's another water shut off valve that uh, that Moen, who's uh, North America, they're fairly large, I think, uh, that they have. So you know, your water main. Let's say you have a leak detector somewhere, and you put that in there, and it can shut off your water main for you. That's kind of nice i bet you're still regretting when your water main broke and you i i actually looked at exactly this but then my plumber was coming sooner than i could get one of these so (laughs) and i wasn't gonna be letting my water main just leak everywhere for longer so i didn't get it but yeah that's that's actually why i know about this exact product well they say Um, that like if you look at like home damage right like it's water leakage is, is the biggest one of course, it's not fire, right? Of course, yeah, it's no. water. Yeah, it's water leakage and and sewage backing right. up or whatever happens quite often too. Yeah, once things get molding and stuff, then it's just uh, you're you're done at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, something that I haven't played with yet, but sounds really awesome, is a native Mac app for yeah. Home Assistant. Yeah, so, I actually played with it. Oh, is it good? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well done. Next topic. It, it works. It works. <laughs> it, no. it, I, I mean, it, it, it's. I mean, it, it, it does what it says on the box. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It's. You don't have to fire up the browser. It's there. 
Now, but I think what's really cool about this is not per se the browser. That that's just okay, right? Like you can install like the yeah. the UI also as an app with Chrome or mm. Edge. Now, what the really cool part that it unlocks is the automations because it sends the sensors from your MacBook to yes. Home Assistant. So a few of the sensors that are really useful is is a camera in use. So for example, you could have it so that when you start your camera because you start a call, it will automatically put the lights on so like to illuminate your head mm. correctly. Or and for people working in ISO on Zoom calls, that's an amazing automation. You can have right. like a red light to tell everyone you're in a Zoom call, right? Yeah. Don't example, talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing also is like you know when we lock or unlock your Mac. So you could say if I unlock my Mac and I don't so if I lock my Mac and I don't unlock it within five minutes, turn off the lights in the room. Right. For example. Yeah. yeah. Right. So this is this is just super cool. And you yeah. know, this already existed for Windows. Uh, for Windows, there is an application or a service. Like it's, it has no UI called IoT Link, and it can send all this kind of sensory information from Windows uh, oh, to MQTT, and then you can pull it into That's uh, Home Assistant very handy. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I I'm gonna have to download that now. I do like the sounds of yeah. The sound of that. Yeah. Uh, some breaking changes. There's too many in, in this release. It's well, yeah. 0.115. Too many. Like take a yeah. look at the release notes. I there, think there, there's been. I mean, there's been a ton of features added. So obviously, yeah. there might be a couple of things that don't work as you would expect. So. All right. So questions for Paulus and from Paulus. So you, you, you put out a tweet you put out a tweet earlier and I saw that right before I went to bed and I was like, Oh, this is gonna be good where, where Paulus said, Hey, what are questions he can ask us? So uh we'll we'll do both. So us to you and you to us. So we'll we'll start. So Okay. Um uh, State of the Union this year. Is that uh is there is it happening? What's what's the deal there? Yeah, so it is happening. Um, but it's going to be online. Okay. So, I think. I mean, obviously, the the situation doesn't allow us to meet with large groups. For sure. And so, I think also, and I mean, in the last two years that we've done it, I've noticed that like you know, there's more people watching online than are actually there in person. Like last yeah. year, yeah. I think we had 150 people, which is super cool, right? Yeah. But. We don't have to couple that to a State of the Union. We could also organize a meetup and then stream the State of the Union online or these kind of things. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually looking forward to doing it online. I mean, I have to say we haven't started yet. So first the birthday, then the State of the Union, and then... Yeah. Uh, Generally around but, November, I think you do them. Yeah, we do them in November. But I think what's going to be very nice is that it will allow us to have more speakers, right? Like in the past, you know, it used yeah. to be me, then it was me and Pascal, and... You know, there's so many people working on Home Assistant. There's so many people using Home Assistant or contributing in various ways. And it'd just be cool to hear from more people than, you know, just me yeah. and Pascal. Um, and, you know, being online allows this. And I think, you know, uh, GitHub had a pretty nice format when they did like a conference earlier this year where pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, every speaker was like 10 minutes. You know, just mm-hmm. their topic, their thing, and then just move on and like, you know, it's... It, be nice to see to have like such kind of a lineup yeah 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 we're gonna work on um and we'll see what comes out of it so yeah you'll hear more about it but yeah it will be online yeah it's good to hear okay almost almost apple keynote right like right like hey okay (laughs) this guy's got 10 minutes he's gonna talk about phones go right (laughs) right. whatever so yeah how do you know we're working on a home assistant phone 
How that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. <laughs> so, and I guess going along with that, you've obviously got more speakers. We've got more people working at Nebuchadnezzar. How are they, how's the future of Nebuchadnezzar going? Have you got any pl- grand plans for this year that you've come out? Well, I mean, if I had grand plans, I wouldn't tell them, of course. Like, they'll be like... <laughs> Why not? At, We're all friends, well, yeah? Yeah, sure. But this is, that would be at the State of the Union or something. No, I mean, there's... <laughs> um, so right now, I mean, we're growing and we just actually, we hired someone also to help with the hardware side, to with the operating system side, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. To, uh, so that's where like, we've had some like, you know, workload issues in the past where like Pascal is really overloaded. Yeah. Um, I mean, right now we're not looking to expand mainly also because I think it's just, uh, we're living in risky economic times. Like, I, yeah, you know, the economy true. is still going up, but I don't trust it. And so... You know, having, you know, I'm an employer now, where right? it's like people that like trust me that their paycheck comes and like, yeah, you know, the worst thing that could happen is that, you know, I would have to like let someone go because we can't afford it. And then, you know, so yeah, we're not planning on growing uh, right now and we'll have to see how these things evolve. Um, yeah. 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 We, you know, we just keep, keep doing what we're doing. I think the, the way it's set up, the way. You know, all the we're just all working on Home Assistant, and Home Assistant is getting better, like so much, right? Like all the time, it's kind of mm-hmm. wild. Uh, so, I think, yeah, I mean, why change a winning formula? Yeah, yeah. Hey, fair <laughs> enough. That's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of along the same lines, Paulus. Um, for for Home Assistant specifically, right? Again, um, is the focus still on simplifying? Uh, getting more advanced features in that kind of thing, and and really, where are we before we get to that one dot <laughs> quote unquote? Oh, I knew uh, this was gonna come. Not 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 to right. put you on the spot. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I know. I, last year, I said I expect us to hit one point zero in like the first half of twenty twenty. Yeah, didn't happen. Um, yeah. I think that. I mean, I I don't know. So what makes a 1.0 and what does it mean for people when it's 1.0? Does it mean that we're sure. no longer beta software? Like, where are we in the beta cycle then? And I think that, I mean, obviously we're still making it easier. And I think that we're not yet at a level that it's easy enough that people can like completely install yeah. it and like never ever have to touch YAML or command line, right? Because that's yeah. the, the goal is that we have this, the, we know we call it stand, you have standard mode, you have advanced mode, and in standard yeah. mode you don't, you know, it would just be like a, a UI product only, right? And so you should be able to. Like, we've added a lot of features to support this in this year, right? There's been like safe mode, for example, just mm-hmm. to make sure that even if you your configuration gets super borked, we will still always at least get a UI going. Um, we've yeah. added like recovery of failed databases, so a broken database will no longer stop Home Assistant from starting up. Right. We do more maintenance on the database to kind of keep it uh, running more smooth and make sure that it gets like trimmed down if it's too big. Um, but on the other hand, we're also just keep evolving our automations, right? Like we've added so many automation features here that yeah. also allow our advanced users that just, you know, want to, Right, advanced automations to really like empower them and just do all the cool stuff that they want to do. Yeah, yeah. If we're, I think 
you know, we'll keep doing both. And at some point, I think we'll be at a level where we're like, okay, now it's easy enough. And boom, we're going to tag 1.0. Um, but I don't know. I don't want to give timelines anymore because it's not going to work. Which is which yeah. is fair. Which is fair. And, totally agree. and I, know, I know there was a big push uh, a while ago for stuff like Almond as an example, which is, you know, hey, make me an automation that does blah, blah, blah. And it, and it kind of yeah. does it right um is that is that still prevalent is that still like like are, are those still kind of the focuses that that you well, and that core team has or i think yeah one of the things where i want to move towards is just to make the common tasks super simple to do so yeah. there's just a bunch of automations that we know people would probably want if they have certain things so for example if you have a smoke detector you probably want to get notified when it detects smoke. Yeah. Right? If Fair you enough, yeah. you know, if you have presence detection and lights, maybe you want the lights to automatically turn on on the living room. Right? These are things that we shouldn't have people you know, we we have amazing building blocks. But these building blocks are still you need to be able to grasp what the system can do and then you have to build it. And if like, you know, if almost every user is building the same automation, then why isn't that not just a toggle? Right. Right. Like, right. You know, notify me when like batteries are low, for example. Like, yeah. They, yeah. They, it's not there. And like, so everybody builds their own solution to this. Well, this could be solved in a way. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's where we have a lot of, you know, I kind of always think about building a kind of like apps on top of our building blocks. Like, because the tech integration, you could do, there's a great example, you could do everything without the text front end, right? You could like go to the dev tools, listen to the events, you can create automations, but that's all cumbersome. And like people have to like open many tabs and kind of like look around. Sure. So by bringing it all together, that's great. And I think, you know, there's some, uh, another thing where I think, you know, we can do better with Home Assistant is just how much energy is your house using and help you to lower the energy usage of your house for example yeah. hey you have the heater or the ac on and your door is open like hey let let me just notify you that you probably want to close your door or turn off the ac yep totally yeah that makes sense so i think that's where we have a lot of uh, possibility yeah. to make a lot of things easier yeah. i think i mean we've we've added uh variables to to, to automations now and I think one of the steps you want to build on top, so sorry, I'm just like looping back now, yeah, is that yeah. <laughs> we want to build this thing called templated automations, where this is not templates in the normal sense of templates, but more like if we have variables that we can describe, for example, this automation needs a device tracker or a person as input, and it needs a light as like a controllable entity. Yeah, that we yeah. could like create an automation that if that person is home, we can turn on the light. Uh, but of course, you could then change the inputs, and so you can have multiple instances of a single automation. Right. And so all of a sudden, you could create a super advanced automation in YAML that is purely controlled by the inputs that people put in, and that would like you know put our automation sharing on steroids. Yeah. And because you yeah. just have like. And we can make the, the, the inputs, we can make it very advanced. For example, you can say multiple entities in the person domain or multiple lights or areas of lights as output, yeah. right? Like this, this is, you can uh, make it as advanced as possible. 
But in the end, for the user, like the, the, the standard user, they would just get these prepackaged automations and they just have to pick lights and people and it's set. Right. So, right. I mean, if you, you know, if you think about like, where do we want to go, making it easier, this is like one of the paths that I think we should explore. Yeah, no, that's that is that sounds really exciting, I think. So Yeah. And Sander on Twitter has asked, and this one's directed at you, Paulus, I'm interested to hear about how it is to make a living from an open source product you've created. I see many other open source products struggling with this. So oh yeah, how how does that feel? Like you've pretty much you've done the dream, right? Created yeah. something, given it away for free and, and made a living from it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. So it is the dream, but it's also, I mean, let me, let me just make it clear. This is the dream, right? This is awesome. And like, you know, it's like my baby that is now supporting myself and others and like helping mm. so many people automate their homes. But it's also sometimes pretty, you know, tricky because with open source, a lot of my collaborators are around the world, different time zones. But even yep. if I'm in the same country, you know, yeah. I work, you know, nine to five ish, but the people that are volunteering for home assistant, they work in the evenings because that's yeah. when they are off. Yeah. Yeah. So it means that a lot of conversations I'm having is outside of like my office hours. So sure. it was actually right now I'm in Europe. Um, but when I was in the U S it was actually easier to talk to Europeans because their evening in Europe is then during my workday in the United States. Mm, right. Yep. Um, and I think the other thing that is like, so this is kind of a challenge because it just means, you know, if you ever notice how often we're online, it's just like, well, yeah, you know, we're just talking to our friends. I mean, this is also our hobby became our work. So it's also that's like, yeah. these are our friends. But that's, I think the biggest challenge is to like, how do you turn it off? Like, how do you stop working? Because yep. then if you Get stop working, work you start balance. automating your house and then you're back at working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I think the, the other challenge, I mean, this is just open source in general, is that with, when you're a developer in a normal company, you know, you're shielded behind like product managers and customer support and they will sure. like, get all the beatings, right? And for here, it's just people <laughs> complain directly to us yeah, and they complain at every step. So if we're discussing, you know, potential features in an architecture issue, people will mm -hmm. chime in from all over the world to like give their opinion, even if they don't like fully understand it or whatever. And this happens at every step, like we're prototyping, you know, you get like random people commenting on your work. You're like building it, then it's not according to this, how does one person wants it, or you should do it differently. And so at every step, we always get all this feedback. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is like, also a good thing, which is, you know, you know, you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing for, for whatever, right? But, right. But it can also be very tiring because, like, of course, not everybody is always aware of all the different things that, like, we have like taken into account. For example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, to write everything down, which you know probably should happen, but it's also a lot of work, right? That's yeah. where you get this enterprise. Everybody has to be accountable, so we just keep writing reports about reports about reports, um, just to be like make sure it's written down somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but no, I, I I am living the dream. And if I think like if I look at like other projects that are kind of struggling and like to finding like this balance between like you know people supporting, I think I mean the the the, the things that are driving Home Assistant is that we make you know Home Assistant is for users, 
right? Yeah. We are not an open source project to help you make better forms to get input for your application, your enterprise application, mm. right? We are directly facing consumers, mm-hmm. which is also sometimes difficult because obviously consumers are also, you know, they, they, they don't have all the technical domain knowledge to use yeah. the product, right? So that's why we're focusing on making it easier. And I think the way, I mean, Nabucasa is an addition to Home Assistant, right? Like you don't need Nabucasa. Like the technical people can do everything themselves. Sure. Right? Like a lot of people will still subscribe to support the development, right? And make sure that like if security incidents happen, like there's a fast response or like hot fixes are like there's a good turnaround yeah. time. But I think also there we did a good job in saying like, you know, we're not like if this and that where we just say, well, you can only have three automations in Home Assistant, otherwise subscribe, <laughs> whatever, right? Like it wouldn't work. <laughs> right. It yeah. has to be, you know, when, when Nabucasa came around, we offered something that wasn't there yet. Like yeah. it's an addition. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that is just, you know, that's also really helpful. Like it's the way we've structured it. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you still kept it open. You know, you haven't restricted people. Like, if you want to use the Amazon Echo, you have to go through Nabu Classic. That's not a thing, right? Like, no. You... In fact, it's been like our power to not have done this. Like, it's been it's in our benefit of everybody because mm-hmm. the yeah. code that processes commands from Google and Alexa sits inside Home Assistant. So it doesn't matter if this command comes through Home Assistant Cloud or through your manual setup of Alexa or Google, it all yep. hits the same code base. And it means that if it doesn't matter who adds to Alexa or Google or who fixes bugs, everybody benefits. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Which is, of course, this is how open source works. So this is great. No, which is awesome. I, exactly. So. Did you have any for us? I know, I know, we're this is a little longer of a podcast, but since since <laughs> since you put the feelers out there, let's uh, let, let's let's hear them. I know, I know, no. Phil answered one, but we can we can re-answer it for folks that may not be on Twitter. Yeah, I'm gonna get that one question because I think that was the only one that really came out. With most uh, questions were still for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, is it hard to come up with a good subject without a fresh release to talk about? Um. No, not really. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're blessed enough to have, I think, enough people res- mailing in and, and kind of giving us yeah. feedback and that kind of thing that, uh, I mean, last time we, we had a really good chat with Pete, right? And just to say, hey, listen, this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And, and we also have our spotlight episodes that, uh, that we do, which is, again, it's mostly around, a specific topic or a specific facet of, of home assistant or, or home automation. So that's, uh, you know, that, that helps, right? So we can always, we can always uh, fill in the blanks there a little bit. So typically those are, those are in addition to the regular episodes, but, but as Phil kind of pointed out on Twitter, we don't, <laughs> that's, that's, that's extra time that it's just like, and anytime Phil and I sit down, we're like, okay, you know, we're going to do this. we got to talk about this. We're going to do all of that. Uh, we end up not doing it. Well, we have our we have our backlog. We have people. Uh, so many suggestions have come in for our spotlight episodes. It's just that we have to plan them out and and, and then do, and them. do them. And I th- I think also last week's talking to Pete. Like there wasn't a struggle to get any details out. I think we got off the we re- ended the recording and it was like Pete goes, oh, I've still got to tell you about this automation and that automation. Like, Sorry, Pete, <laughs> we run out of time. <laughs> We're already longer than a normal that's right, episode. That's right. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, and, and, but again, it kind of goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? Uh, I think, I think 
Phil and I both enjoy doing this and and I think our listeners also and and the, and the folks we have on the show also really uh they 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 enjoy home automation and stuff and and that passion really comes out so which is which is awesome. Yeah. And we're very lucky for everyone that comes on. Abs- absolutely. Well, it shows. I mean, this is already episode 73. Right? It's like crazy. That's a lot I know. of episodes. I know, I know. It's it's we, Phil and I always talk about it too. It's like especially in the New Year's and stuff like that, or it's like when we hit like fifty episodes or something. We're like, wow, fifty, fifty episodes. People people what? still want to talk to us. That's that's cool. That'd be good, right? So yeah, I always like it because it's like you know it's on a fixed schedule, so I know like oh the new podcast is gonna drop. I can like yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. I must say I, I have more difficulty finding time for podcasts now because like. You know, you're not outside that sure. much. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, like, I haven't listened to podcasts because I don't commute to work anymore, right? Yeah, like, right. Yeah, same. But so. hopefully hopefully, people are still making time. <laughs> Do the well, judging by our emails, they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's good. Yeah. Well, Paulus, thank you so much. It has been, I think this is down in the history books as our longest episode that we will ever release. <laughs> Um, it has been a massive release. I think congratulations to you for seven years of Home Assistant. Uh, congratulations to everyone that's gone into this release. Yeah. It is a very, it's a, a milestone release, definitely. Uh, some great new features. So, yeah, and thanks for taking so much time out of your day to talk to us about it. Yeah, no, awesome. Uh, thank you very much. And also, I mean, thank you guys for, like, doing this amazing podcast. Like, I, I truly, like, appreciate it. Oh, for sure. Really All right, thank you. I enjoy listening to it. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.